0: I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
1: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day.
3: Well, hey there, everyone. Hey, everybody. How's it going out there in the universe?
5: Loving to see your smiling faces.
3: We're assuming they're smiling.
5: Yeah, I mean, generally assume you're smiling if you're listening to our show. Yeah, right? It's all smiles around here. I will make you
3: smile if you're not smiling yet.
5: Right, and then cry.
3: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And sometimes
5: be really angry.
3: It's a real roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, well, ain't that 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 romance? (laughs) True.
5: Yeah, every day. I'm Diana. And I'm Eli.
3: And we are so, so glad that you're here, because we have some great stories to tell.
5: Yeah, absolutely.
3: But first, the Expanse trailer. What'd you think?
5: Oh my God. All right. Are going (laughs) to talk about this? Y'all are watching the Expanse, right? I know we've said it before. I know
3: we've talked about it before. So I'm not
5: going to spend the whole podcast on it, but... So good. It's so good. So good. Go watch it. Push through the first few episodes, and then you'll be hooked, and it's the best... Uh, just one of the best sci-fi things out there at all. Anyway, we could go on and on about our nonsense uh, TV obsessions, but we've got a cool story to get to today. Right. And uh, I I really want to get into this one because I, I love it.
3: Yes, it's very cool. And big thanks to our dear friend, Jermaine.
5: Jermaine. For the
3: suggestion, at Dog Petersburg on Instagram. Yes,
5: we love Jermaine. Yeah. Um, i know Jermaine for... Uh, a long time. Longer than any of us would probably to like to admit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And we haven't seen Germaine enough because right. of, well, you know, earth.
3: Gestures at
5: everything. <laughs> um, but we love and miss you, Germaine. And we're mm-hmm. so excited that you gave us this idea for this story because it's so cool. Yes. This is the story of Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, mm-hmm. who was a nun in Mexico at the time that it was under colonial rule of Spain, mm-hmm. in the 1600s. Uh, She's incredible. She's brilliant. She's ahead of her time. She wrote what's considered to be the first feminist manifesto. Rad. We'll get into all that. And also, she was in love with a woman named Maria Luisa Manrique de Lara y González, who was so many names. A vice reign. I love the names. The The names names are are so great. It's true. It's just they're just as long and absurd as those British titles. But there's so much more fun to say.
3: Right. I did joke, though, that this episode would be longer than usual because half of it would be us just (laughs) trying to fit everybody's names
5: in. But um,
3: whatever, we'll get through it and it's going to sound amazing This
5: is so <laughs> cool, so I say we jump right into this ridiculous story
3: Yeah, why wait? Hey there friends, come listen well Eli and Diana got some stories to tell There's no matchmaking or no romantic tips It's just about ridiculous relationships A lover might be any type of person at all An abstract concept or a concrete wall But if there's a story worth a second glance We'll put it in a show Ridiculous Romance a production of iHeartRadio.
5: So before she was Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, she was Inés de Asuaje y Ramírez de Santillana. And she was born on November 12th of 1648 during Mexico's colonial period under the viceroyalty of Spain. And this ran for 300 years. It was between 1521 and Mexico's independence in 1821. At the time, Mexico had been a Spanish colony for over 100 years. And Inez was born out of wedlock to Don Pedro Manuel de Asuaje y Vargas Machuca, a Spanish officer, and her mother, Doña Isabel Ramirez de Santillana y Rendon, who was a wealthy Spanish woman. Now, she was born in a town that was called San Miguel Nepantla at the time, but today that town is called Nepantla de Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. Uh Oh, uh-oh. a little name shift there. Sorry, San Miguel, yes, but uh, Sor Juana it. came in and was just uh, <laughs> deserving.
3: We took a that back. Yeah. <laughs> we took that one for her.
5: They're like, San Miguel, you've got enough.
3: I mean, that's so true. There's a lot Saint of St. Michael.
5: Michael shit out there, right?
3: People know about St. Michael, yes. all right? You don't need
5: this city. <laughs> yes, Sister Juana gets one.
3: Her father basically dipped out, abandoned the family. She never uh, saw him growing up. But her mother's family was rich and cozy. So she grew up in a hacienda, which was like a big Spanish estate. And her mom was dope. She raised Inez and her two other daughters, all while managing one of her own father's estates. Damn. So she's like,
5: she's a boss. handling it. Yeah. yeah.
3: Total boss. And she taught them to be tough and smart and that they shouldn't just grow up to rely on men for their well being.
5: Well, that because, makes sense.
3: Because, I mean, yeah, lo- look around you. There's <laughs> none here. Yeah. <laughs> they ran off. He dipped. We still gotta live. <laughs> yeah, people are
5: gonna tell you grow up and marry a rich husband and he'll take care of you, but mm-hmm. guess what happened to me?
3: <laughs> yeah. Guess what happens? They can walk the fuck away. Yeah. So <laughs> let us handle our own. Yep. Inez's maternal grandfather was a very well-educated man. He had a massive library. And she would sneak books away and sit in the chapel and read them, which was against the rules for young girls. Oh. And she could read and write by the age of five. Damn.
5: That's pretty good. For teaching yourself. Right, especially yeah. especially
3: that. <laughs> and when she was eight, she wrote her first poem on the Holy Sacrament.
5: I'll say i 36 and I still have yet to write my first poem <laughs>
3: especially uh, on about the, the holy sacrament. sacrament or otherwise
5: yeah
3: <laughs> I've written some poems but I, I never to the holy sacrament yeah um, I did have a bit of a slam poetry phase in oh, high school wow. so yes we'll have I to wrote, hear some of those I one remember. day
5: in poetry corner
3: <laughs> my slam poetry
5: <laughs> <laughs> will they go well with the bongos and the and the string bass <laughs>
3: Probably. I don't really remember any of them, but it was definitely intended for like a Love Jones style coffee shop scenario. We're going to
5: find those listeners. Um,
3: Shout out to Love Jones. Great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Inez used to challenge herself by cutting her own hair, picking up a subject and saying, I'm going to master this by the time my hair grows back. Wow. That is a real timeline right there. Yeah. And grows back to the... or the link that she cut it that from, she I'm kept assuming. It from. Yeah, yeah. So then every time it hits your shoulders, and you're like, "Damn, uh,
5: am I a am I a <laughs> nuclear physicist yet?" I know. Right? Oh, Shit.
3: Do you think she she ever cheated by getting a little trim here and there? <laughs> you know, no, just a quick trim, take an inch off. <laughs> just give me a little more time. with... <laughs> Italian or something.
5: <laughs> right. Or just like, oh, thank God it's humid today. So my hair's up a little bit.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> she curls it sometimes.
5: Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, geez. It's so short.
3: <laughs> oh, I got a lot of time. Whatever she did with her hair, by her adolescence, she was well-versed in Greek logic and philosophy. And by 13, she was teaching Latin to kids younger than her. Damn. Damn. So, I mean, this is like a, a, a will-hunting situation. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> She's straight up just reading a bunch of books all by herself. <laughs> and when she was 16, around 1664, her grandfather died, and Inez was sent to live in Mexico City. She was going to be presented as a lady-in-waiting at the court of the colonial viceroy Marquis de Mencera. But she went to her mom and said I got a proposition for you how's about you dress me up like a boy send me to the university and I study for a living Ah, (laughs) and her mom was like and no I'm not gonna I might be a little bit of a boss bitch, but I am not that rebellious. We're not doing that. That's a lot. That's a little much. Yeah. So, yes, she was... Her mom was turned her down, turned down that proposition. She was presented to court and ended up being admitted to the service of the viceroy's wife.
5: So, since she wasn't allowed to attend university, Inez just went ahead and kept teaching herself. I mean, this girl wanted to be smart, Mm -hmm. right? And she must have been a damn good teacher to herself, too, because when she was 17 the viceroy came to her and was like, damn girl, you're smarter than me. Let me drop some pop quizzes on you here real quick. And he invited this panel of scholars to come in and just drill her on every subject, talking philosophers, theologians, legal scholars, ethics scholars, everybody, probably a gym teacher <laughs> came in and test her like squat thrusts.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Right. You you know. made her climb a rope.
5: Uh-huh. It was this whole big like Pri- one private Jeopardy! episode just for her. Wow. They're like, what's four times 67? Who's the king of England? What's the lifespan of a Burmese python? How do you make pie? Who did 9-11? You know, <laughs> just questions, questions, questions. And she's like, bam, I got you. 268. Charles II. Uh, 20 years, maybe. Uh, you bake a pie with an oven. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres did 9-11. She's like, <laughs> She's got all the answers. Wada
3: is blowing this wide open.
5: <laughs> They're just like, Damn you are such a smart girl. They're like, who taught you? Who's your teacher? And she's like, okay, let me go get her. And she does this little spin and she's like, ta-da! It's me. <laughs> I taught myself. What? And they're like, what? I mean, honestly, in truth, these questions were really difficult. Like, I joke, but they were really intense philosophical mm-hmm. questions. Uh, Teresa A. Ugar has a TED-Ed video on YouTube about her, and she says that after she solved all these like really complicated equations and philosophical queries right there on the spot, observers later compared the event to a royal galleon fending off an army of canoes. <laughs> just like, it's wow. nothing. She's just swatting these questions down like they are. Nothing. Mm. An intellectual massacre. Yes. You know, I kept thinking of the Queen's Gambit when they bring all those boys in to play chess against her <laughs> mm-hmm. and she's just like, ding, dang, dung. You're done. Yep. I win. Mate,
3: mate, mate. Yep. Checkmate, <laughs> checkmate,
5: checkmate. checkmate.
3: <laughs> so suddenly everybody's talking about Ines de y Ramirez Santiyana. All across New Spain, they're whispering, man, have you heard of this this
5: girl? Yeah, I heard of this girl. She's, she's- Smart, Yeah, I know, right? A God, smart like, girl?
3: She can read and stuff and, like, answer questions. I don't get it. What? But it's more than that because Ines was also pretty. Oh. Uh-oh. Looks and brains. So, you know, people were just coming from all over uh-huh. and throwing up marriage proposals right and left. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, as quick as they would show up with a marriage proposal, she would shoot him right back down again. Mm-hmm. She's like, sorry, oh, not interested. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm busy that night washing my hair, <laughs> trying to get it curly so I get a little more time with French. Right. Oh, it's not you. It's everything you stand for. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> Damn. The usual ghosted kind of lines. Uh-huh. And ultimately she was just way more interested in furthering her education than she was in these drooling hombres. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
5: She's
3: like, I don't want no scrubs, I want books. Yeah. And she said, I don't study to know more, but to ignore less.
1: Oh. Which I think
3: is a really interesting way to look at that. Yeah, to look at so education. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. The more you know, the the more you realize how less how little you know. Yeah. Do you know?
5: Yeah, you become more observant more- because Yeah.
3: And more interested in all the things that you might not realize are out there to learn about. And yeah, they were just so mind blown by this girl being smart as hell that they didn't really push her for marriage. They kind of, when she said no, they'd be like, yeah, that makes sense.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Yeah. you're probably too smart for that. (laughs) You're
3: (laughs) right. I I might find you intimidating over time, so it's probably for the best. (laughs) And Padre Nunez de Miranda, who was the viceroy's confessor and kind of like the head honcho around here for religious stuff, um, he came up to her and said, you know, hey, if you're into learning, but you're not into getting married, have I got a place for you. <laughs> it's called a convent. <laughs> Maybe you'd like to become a nun. That's sort of their whole thing is like right. ignoring men learning stuff. <laughs> yeah. They read all kinds of books and nobody's allowed to visit. How do you feel?
5: (laughs) I got this magical place where all you do is read and don't get married. That's like the two rules. Right. (laughs) So at this point, okay, we're talking the late 1600s, the church was still under the control of the tribunal of the Holy Office of the Inquisition. (gasps) Bet you didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. Ah!
3: No one ever does.
5: The Inquisition was started nearly 200 years earlier, 1478, and basically, in a very tight summary, (laughs) it was a panel that was intended to keep Catholicism strictly orthodox in Spain and Spanish colonies. Mm. In its more than 300 years of operation, around 150,000 people were prosecuted for offenses against the church. And of those, nearly 5,000 people were executed. Yeesh. Ultimately, the Spanish Inquisition was a massively anti-Semitic group of assholes. A lot of what they were trying to do was convert slash eradicate Jewish people in Spanish colonies Ah. and Muslim as well, honestly. But kind of just minimizing it for the purposes of this story. In general, they were just kind of a bunch of stuck up assholes. (laughs) (laughs) So Inez already had kind of a distaste for the church's attitude towards women. Um, you know, they were like, understandable. yeah, like you can't uh, you can't study, you can't learn mm-hmm. unless you're a nun. Then that's all you right. do. So <laughs> she was like, well, I guess that's kind of the only way I can really devote myself to education like I want to. So since she wasn't in the slightest bit interested in any of these marriage proposals that were coming in, she pretty much agreed with Nunez that this was a good call. Mm hmm. When asked why she didn't want to get married or find a nice womanly job, as they would say, she said, quote, I would like to have no fixed occupation, which might curtail my freedom to study.
3: <laughs> I love her implication that a husband is a fixed occupation. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she thinks she's thinking about kids too, I, I'm sure. But um,
5: hey, I mean, keeping a home is a job.
3: It is. For sure. Very much but, a uh, job. And one I don't like to do. So shout out to everyone out there who does. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
5: No, and I was thanking thank you. you. I was thanking you for...
3: For the shout out. For the shout out, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you definitely... As
5: the resident mm-hmm. homemaker.
3: Home homemaker. <laughs> True. <laughs> so off she went to the convent of discalced Carmelites of St. Joseph. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, it's not got anything to do with caramel. <laughs> um, discalced is from the Latin, meaning without shoes. Oh, I'm out. Oh, yeah. You hate being barefoot.
5: I really... Well, I, I don't like being without shoes on.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: I prefer... I Look, I prefer to have shoes on to not having shoes on at any given time, except bed, obviously.
3: Whereas I will go barefoot until I have to go outside.
5: Yes. Yeah. I love to be and barefoot. And even then, it, we pretty much have to force them on you. <laughs> it's true. I'm just like, what if... Wow, why would I want the, my raw feet out in the world for...
3: I know. I mean, whenever you see a movie where they're walking in the woods barefoot or yeah. somewhere like that, like a rocky area, gravel, uh-huh. ugh, seems like torture with bare feet. But just around the house, it makes sense to me to be barefoot.
5: I'm thinking, maybe I saw Die Hard Too Young, and I'm just like, at any time, <laughs> there
3: will be in glass. a flash
5: second, I could have to need my shoes. And if they're not on, I'm in trouble.
3: Or Home Alone when he leaves those yeah. ornaments out of the window. Yeah, sure,
5: mm-hmm. sure. Mm hmm. Although he had gotten his shoes ripped off with tar, so... I guess it
3: was a little different. He didn't different. start
5: barefoot. But he
3: he was, had planned... He came prepared with <laughs> shoes on. <laughs> but... But that kid was happens. too good. <laughs> that kid was too good. So, yeah, Eli's not joining the discalced Carmelites of no, St. Joseph, but Anes no. might. <laughs> yeah. Right, she's checking it out. The nuns there are cloistered, so they have no outside contact with anyone, and they're very contemplative. Like the friars would go out to retreat centers and to churches to promote spirituality, but the nuns just stayed inside yeah. and read.
5: Just you, just stay here and think. Yes,
3: which may, might have appealed to Inez. Sure, uh, pretty,
5: pretty. I mean, you know, at, she, at least at look, first, it it doesn't not appeal to me. If someone's <laughs> just like, just stay in this nice, cool building mm-hmm. and just think. Mm-hmm. Or nobody's gonna bother you. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't have to go to the store. Right. You just. Read. You just read and right. think
3: think like
5: well it's not the worst thing
3: (laughs) sounds like kind of a dope artist residency sure (laughs) (laughs) um so she entered uh this convent as a postulant which is like a bar back for nuns basically (laughs) you're kind of in training and you're not fully committed yet yeah yeah. married god and taking your vows or anything like that but you know our girl inez is kind of a pistol right i mean she's got Fire, she's got spunk, you uh-huh. know. She she's a self-educated genius. She's a writer and a philosopher and a socialite and a mathematician. I yeah. mean, how long do you think she lasted in this quiet, <laughs> dusty box of a right. convent? <laughs> three, months. <laughs> three months. Three
5: months. Yeah. Three
3: long months, I'm she sure. <laughs> Very long, out. quiet months.
5: So she leaves after three months. She says, Let me try again. And she entered the convent of San Giannamo, you Santa Paula. As a Hieronymite nun, the Hieronymites—they're way looser. This is a total party school, you know. They're just hanging out, throwing a football, they're kicking a khaki sack around, you know. Bong rips, having a good totally. old time. I mean, sister
3: act, but after Whoopi gets there, yeah, exactly,
5: <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, that's an extreme exaggeration. They were still very much cloistered and lived in isolation and were devoted to a simple life of prayer and study, but, like, in a more chill way. Yeah, As
3: as nuns go, it was a party.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So she's having a much better time here, and she decided, you know what, maybe I could do this whole nun thing, no problem, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So she took the vows. She officially became a nun in 1669. And in taking her new name, she chose to shout out Juan de la Cruz or John of the Cross, who was a Spanish Catholic priest and a Carmelite friar who had been one of the most prolific writers of the Spanish Baroque period. He was a major figure in shaping theology through his research and study and his writings. So obviously this guy is like an idol of her. She's Mm -hmm. like, that's that's what I want to do. Yeah. But of course, Inez was not about to renounce her own name of Inez. Inez is a badass, so she's not going to give that up. So she kept the whole thing, put it all together, and became <laughs> Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz, or mm. Sister Joanna Agnes of the Cross in wow. English, which is, just doesn't have the same ring to it. No,
3: that doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue quite no. quite the same way. No. So she's reading, she's studying, she's thinking, she's writing, and she starts putting out plays and poems and stories and musings on love and feminism and theology right and of course she had very little money of her own mm. not a path to financial freedom let's say <laughs> taking, taking the cloth <laughs> taking the cloth <laughs> it's
5: not, not an it's investment it's not
3: often i guess it can be certainly well but, sure uh, at least that's how you treat it at least in the 16 somethings it wasn't <laughs> but the super liberal convent of San Geronimo allowed her to keep her own library and a collection of musical instruments and scientific equipment. So she had a bunch of cool stuff. She started acquiring books, books, more books. She was like Albus Dumbledore getting books every year. (laughs) People brought her books as gifts and they kept rolling in. And soon she had to get a larger room and then an even larger room and then an even larger room. And eventually, instead of the traditional minimalist nun's quarters right. that you would, might be imagining in your yeah, mind. Yeah,
5: sure. Tiny little stone room with like a, sure. a single wooden table with like a, a, a hand-carved cup. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, and Maybe a, a
3: bowl with water in it. Yeah, but a there's a definitely
5: like a washing bowl. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, no mirrors. A straw cot. No, no mirrors. No windows. No window uh, windows. Tiny little like a uh, uh, wood stove. Mm-hmm.
3: Crucifix. Uh, yeah, wall.
5: crucifix in the wall. It's um, gotta I be think it. that's it, right? And then a big um, inflatable beanbag kind of chair. Right? <laughs> that's, a, that's
3: the one. <laughs> it's got to be, got to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> gotta I mean, every
5: nun's got to have that. Yeah.
3: One nun has like the video rocker chair <laughs> that sits on the floor. She's like, this is my nun cave.
5: <laughs> my nun cave. <laughs> my nun. My nun uh, what, would, what would you call it? A nun hut or uh Oh yeah a sister. she shed <laughs> Yeah what's the she shed for nuns?
3: My well, nun hut
5: <laughs> Um Uh Cave uh cavern uh Habit Habit My Habit habitat? No, that's not very good. <laughs> my habitat
3: My habitat.
5: Hey, welcome to my habitat.
3: No. <laughs> that's a no.
5: Well, I don't think we'll get any better, so let's move on. <laughs>
3: Oh Lord! So yeah, eventually, instead of that tiny prison cell with a beanbag in it, uh, she had a whole big ass suite lined with shelves with all kinds of cool instruments lined up and books and stuff. I mean, she had gadgets and gizmos aplenty, and who's this? Oh, what's it's galore and bob's at least twenty. <laughs> and who cared? Who thought it was a big deal? <laughs> pretty much everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was this unusual. Was
5: huge and scholars and statesmen alike just came from all over to visit her and yeah. see this place and just chat or, or learn what they could or just cuz they had to see it for themselves, right? Yeah,
3: who's ever seen a nun cave before? <laughs> yeah.
5: Her nuns quarters or her habit at Habitat. Um <laughs> became Like a real salon. Great minds of the day would gather and mix and mingle and talk about, you know, smart people stuff. Sure. Um, At its peak, the walls of her suite were lined with an estimated 4,000 books. What? And it was the single largest library in all of Mexico at the time
3: how cool to have your private collection be the largest library (laughs) in the entire region. So
5: she's like Ariel meets Belle here, right?
3: (gasps) True. She is legit two Disney princesses put together. Minus a lot of other details. Well, yeah, (laughs) obviously.
5: So among these visitors to come and see her were the new Viceroy and Viceroy of New Spain, Tomás de la Cerda y Aragon and María Luisa Manrique de Lara y Gonzaga. These two just absolutely loved her work. They were obsessed with all this Sor Juana content.
3: <laughs> that we stan Sor Juana. <laughs> They
5: totally did stan her. <laughs> they were huge stands, and they thought she was like brilliant and fascinating and just like, you know, so different from the other girls, you know, mm. like really, <laughs> really stood out. And Sor Juana thought they were cool as hell, too. She I were- mean,. Yeah,
3: you usually think fans well, of yours are kind of cool. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, fair. You got good
5: taste. That's fair, especially if they're like the Regents. Oh, right. I mean, so she referred to them as Neptune and Amphitrite, who were the god and goddess of the sea, obviously in Roman mythology. Hmm. And when the Spanish government commissioned two triumphal arches to be built for the new viceroy's, one of them was designed around this Neptune metaphor, oh. and they had Sor Juana write the text that was carved into it.
3: Hey, Royal Commission. Right. Not bad. And the two ladies especially hit it off. Ooh. And Sor Juana dedicated several of her poems to her. In the poems, Sor Juana often writes to a woman named Lisi or Phyllis, both widely accepted by historians to be referring to Maria Luisa. Yeah. Recently, Sergio Tellez-Pon, um... Mexican poet, essayist, and editor, compiled a book of poems dedicated to Maria by Sor Juana that had previously been difficult to come by. Because in an interview with El País, he says that the secretary to the Viceroy, Francisco de la Heras, proposed to scatter her poems so that readers couldn't put them all together and realize how intense their relationship really was. Oh. (laughs) So, like, he was, like, maybe taken apart You could, like, kind of write off some of this flowery language. But all together, you could be like, listen now, something's going on. on.
5: This is a heavy set of (laughs) poems. A lot, all (laughs) together.
3: I'm feeling the heat. So Sergio says, for more than 300 years, we have not been able to see Sor Juana's poetry like this. He says in a rough Google Translate... My purpose is to invite the reader to read Sor Juana's work without a blindfold, without prejudices or sexual taboos. Let them read how human relationships are equally passionate, regardless of the gender or sexuality of the lovers. And there are almost 50 poems dedicated to or written specifically for Maria Luisa.
5: Wow. So why don't we go down to Poetry Corner and see what Sor Juana Ines de la Cruz has to say today.
3: But Phyllis, why go on? For yourself alone I love you. Considering your merits, what more is there to say? That you're a woman far away is no hindrance to my love. For the soul, as you well know, distance and sex don't count. Can you wonder my love sought you out? Why need I stress that I'm true when every one of your features betokens my enslavement?
5: Ooh, it is Ow! hot in here.
3: I need a I need a sip of water. Excuse me. Yeah, for
5: real. I mean, yeah. If Phyllis is talking about Maria Luisa, as historians have said it is, then come on, that's pretty. Right. You know, for the soul, as you well know, distance and sex don't count. Like, she's like, it don't matter how far away you are or what gender you are.
3: Right.
5: I'm, it's you. My I'm into soul is you. speaking to you. Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
5: So, I guess taking the line that you're a woman far away is no hindrance to my love, Maria Luisa made sure that she was not a woman far away and made <laughs> regular trips to the convent to spend time with Sor Juana and get to know her better and better. Nice. Now, it must be said, There is no telling if they actually had a physical relationship at all. Octavio Paz has a book that's called Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz o Las Trampas de la Fe, or The Traps of the Faith. And a widely discussed element of her life and her relationships was crossing her religious devotion against her feelings and impulses. So the Legacy Project writes that Sor Juana herself wrote that she was en dos partes dividada, or divided into two parts torn between passion and reason, sensuality and religious devotion. So it's possible based on all existing evidence that she loved Maria Luisa. She was in love with her, Mm -hmm. but still remained celibate. Mm -hmm. In the El Pais interview, Tejas Pond says he thinks that it was a, quote, intense but chaste relationship. Hmm. Hmm. But, I mean, Speculation Station, (laughs) like, if they were going to keep any part of this quiet... (laughs) It'd be that part, right? I mean, she's not going to write down anywhere. By the way, I 69 with Maria Luisa last <laughs> night. You know, she's not going to tell anybody. She
3: doesn't have any secret symbol like
1: Dorothy Putnam. <laughs> right,
5: right. There may be no evidence of it. So we're left in Speculation Station or Estación de Especulación.
3: <laughs> I'm glad it still rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, we don't know if they were actually having a physical, sexual, freaky deaky romance Mm -hmm. or whatever. But they certainly were having what seems to be a romance of the heart. Right. At the very least. Right. And now I think we should probably take a little romance with these commercials. That
5: sounds good to me.
0: Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit AT&T.com hypergig for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is is uncanny usa
4: he says somebody's in the house and i screamed
5: listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare
2: rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing right
5: And welcome back to the show.
3: These viceroys had Sor Juana's back, you know, as a result of this great relationship she had with Maria Luisa. Because this is a smart, powerful feminist woman in a very conservative 17th century Catholic setting. So obviously not everyone was particularly fond of what she was writing and saying. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she was not someone to hold back because of anyone's feelings. Right. (laughs) About it. (laughs) Uh so it's really nice that she had this good relationship with the Viceroys, because unlikely she would have written as much without it.
5: Yeah, she would have gotten in a lot more trouble a lot faster.
3: Right. And in the mid sixteen eighties, she wrote a poem titled You Foolish Men
5: <laughs> I love that title.
3: So good. I mean, she I mean, she was like, let me just tell you what this is about. <laughs> I don't want so, anyone to be shocked yeah. when they get to my thesis.
5: I'm not dealing with metaphor here. <laughs>
3: yeah. This it's is straightforward. It, uh, it is lengthy, so we did not want to include the whole thing. But here are a few choice stanzas.
5: You foolish men who lay the guilt on women, not seeing you're the cause of the very thing you blame. If you invite their disdain with measureless desire... Why wish they well behave if you incite to ill? With foolish arrogance, you hope to find a Thaise. In her you court, but a Lucretia when you've possessed her. What kind of mind is odder than his who mists a mirror and then complains that it's not clear? Their favor and disdain you hold in equal state. If they mistreat, you complain. You mock if they treat you well. No woman wins esteem of you. The most modest is ungrateful if she refuses to admit you. Yet if she does, she's loose.
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I blew up my microphone, but. <laughs> Look,
5: well, well blown.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well blown.
5: Because, I mean, you know, I, I can only speak to my observational experience. <laughs> but don't that say it all?
3: I mean, seriously. I mean, this was 1680.
5: Yeah. She wrote this. forty years ago.
3: And she's saying all the same. Sh- she could put this on Twitter today. Yeah. to Today. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone be like, word.
5: Uh, Thays, the, the the stanza, with foolish arrogance, you hope to find a Thays in her you court, but a Lucretia when you've possessed her. Right. Uh, Thays was a prostitute that Alexander the Great had with him. Mm-hmm. And Lucretia was a noble woman in Rome who had been raped and chose to commit suicide to preserve her family's honor oh, okay. so basically, she's saying here that old adage, like that women are always saying about men, which is like, so you are always looking to date sexy sluts. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to like, a woman you're actually going to judge for whether or not she's good enough for you, you're going to be like, well, she's got to be so pure and untouched so much so that she'd kill herself if she was unsullied, you know, rather than dirty my family name or whatever. Like, I mean, she's just nailing it, right? Gross. Oh yeah.
3: Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Every single stanza of this poem is as biting and insanely accurate as (laughs) (laughs) all the rest of it. I mean, And again, it's just kind of galling that it's like been so many hundreds of years and it's all not the same because that's not true. But a lot of that is still the same and still very present.
5: I feel like it could be translated very easily to modern conversation. Yeah,
3: she could again. She she, this is like her medium piece about how girls get sent home for spaghetti straps in high school. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and she's like, why is my education less important than your freaking thoughts being gross because you're gross?
5: And, like, you're doing this to yourselves. Yeah. Man. Also, I really love that. What mm-hmm. kind of mind is odder than his who mists a mirror and then complains <laughs> that it's not clear? Right. <laughs> right. It reminds me of that um, Eric Andre meme yeah. with the gun. where He's like, why would, <laughs> <laughs> missed a mirror. You? Why would this mirror not be clear? <laughs> <laughs> so true.
3: Maybe you're not surprised to hear that the men of the court were a little huffy and puffy about this old poem. <laughs> they didn't right? really they didn't like that poem you wrote.
5: Criticism? Why I never.
3: <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have to listen to that <laughs> at any time. <laughs> but yeah, thanks to her relationship with the viceroys, and you know, whether it was both the viceroys or if it was mainly just Maria Luisa who was like, let's protect my Favorite Nun,
5: uh-huh.
3: <laughs> which will be coming out soon on ABC. <laughs> My
5: Favorite Nun. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you, you saw the movie poster, though, I bet, anyway, Oh, yeah, absolutely.
5: <laughs> it's Anna de Armas.
3: <laughs> Anna de Armas would be a great choice, though. To
5: play oh, Anna in. de Armas would be perfect.
3: So just Protect My Favorite Nun. That yes. could be a movie on ABC. Regardless, she had major protection from these Viceroy's. Mm-hmm. So she's able to get away with saying stuff like this. Yeah. And because basically the two most powerful people in the colony were like, hands off Sor Juana, she's my girl.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
3: um. So yeah, that allowed her to not only continue her work, but also to draw the attention of all of Mexico's greatest minds and progressive thinkers. Yeah.
5: Then in 1683, Sor Juana finished a play that she was writing, and she presented it as part of these birthday celebrations that were going on for María Luisa's firstborn child. The play was called... Los Empeños de Una Casa, which is translated to House of Desires as the English title. She dedicated the show to Maria Luisa. And it's a comedic play that's written in verse about, like, two pairs of people who are fallen for each other, but circumstances beyond their control keep pushing them apart. Like a very situational comedy, <laughs> you might say. <laughs> the lead character... Is a strong-willed nun who isn't afraid to speak her mind. Are uh, you gonna wonder where the inspiration for that came from?
3: Write what you know. Write what you know. <laughs> there you go.
5: <laughs> so the play is full of like mistaken identities and silly like cross-dressing disguises and like, whoops, I didn't mean to mm-hmm. fall in love with you through the window. I thought you were the woman. You know that kind of goofy <laughs> totally. stuff. You know. This sounds in- like
3: a fun play. I want to. Oh, it sounds super. I'd fun. love to see a production of Absolutely.
5: it. Absolutely. And in the end, everyone who's supposed to wind up together does. Obviously. It's a comedy. Mm-hmm. The only guy who ends up alone is this dude who had tried to deceive a woman away from her boyfriend. So he ends up, you know, all by himself because mm-hmm. she's like, I'm going to write this dick into the show <laughs> and he's going to lose in the end.
3: He's have a just punishment.
5: <laughs> now, the script Includes three songs where basically the play just stops and they turn out and they sing praise specifically to Maria Luisa.
3: Oh. (laughs) This is like
5: written into the show. Three, you know, I mean, it was dedicated to her and it was for like the birth of her son. Right. But this whole play was like, hang on, let's stop the action for a minute and just sing a little song about Maria Luisa. (laughs) They were
3: unrelated. Here's a song about Maria
5: Luisa. (laughs) They were called Divine Lisi," Let Pass, Tender Beautiful Flower Bud, and eventually Beautiful Maria, where I guess she just <laughs> dropped the subtext and was like, hey, look, this lady's hot. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to... Yeah, we got flowers we're singing about. There's Sure, there's a woman named Lisi. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. All that aside, this lady right here.
3: I'm talking about I'm Maria. I'm talking about Maria. I think she's sexy.
5: <laughs> so... I think we should head right back into Poetry Corner.
3: Oh, okay, yeah. And
5: hear a piece of her poem, Divine Lisi.
3: My Divine Lisi, forgive me, my darling, to address you as such, unworthy though I am known to be yours. It's the tongue that misspeaks when what is called dominion, I mean the master's rule, is made to seem possession by the slave. The vassal says, my king. My prison, the convict says, and any humble slave will call the master his without offense. Thus, when I call you mine, it's not that I expect you'll be considered such, only that I hope I may be yours. Seeing you so exalted does not prevent my daring. No god is ever secure against the lofty flight of human thought. There are women more deserving, Yet in distance from heaven, the humblest of valleys seems no farther than the highest peak. In sum, I must admit to the crime of adoring you. Should you wish to punish me, the very punishment will be reward. I mean. Oh, girl! Oh, there is
5: something going on here. She didn't have to write all that. Damn! <laughs> that
3: was. If you want to punish me. <laughs> I feel sounds like sounds great.
5: <laughs> just dropping all pretense here, right? right. I love this poem. Like uh, this yeah. this is like I read this and I was like, oh, this is what people feel when they read poems that speak to them, you know? <laughs> just I don't know, just the the way she plays with words and is like mm-hmm. when I say You're mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm yours. Yeah. And and pulling up all these other examples of when you say that.
3: That's very interesting. Yeah, I was about to say that's such an interesting way of putting it.
5: The vassal says, my king. He doesn't mean you belong to me. He means I belong to you. That's so good. That's so good.
3: Look at that
5: dissection of language. And it translates. Yeah. I think it's really impressive, too, because a lot of times possessives and things like that will be a little different between languages, but Mm
3: -hmm. they
5: nailed this translation. Right, shout out to the translator as
3: well. It's very difficult work. Everyone who likes Squid Game is learning.
5: (laughs) Which I found this on poets.org, so I'm not sure exactly who the translator was. But but yeah, I mean, you know, there's a historian, Bruno Chavez, who pointed out that there's a huge difference in her attitude in -hmm. her poems. If she's writing about love, Depending on if she's talking about men or if she's talking about women.
3: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah.
5: Um, Obviously, we've heard a few poems now about how she thinks about Maria Luisa. Yeah. Uh, And it's pretty clear how she feels Mm -hmm. about love in this situation. Like, whether it's, you know, the punishment is my reward or it's just (laughs) like, hey, I know that we can't be together, but I just like I'm just going to say it. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I wish we could. (laughs) So here's a little poem about her experience in love with men.
5: He who, most ungrateful, leaves me, I beloved. And he who, devoted, pursues me, I dare leave. Thus constantly I adore who makes me grieve. I grieve who, ever constant, offers love. When I offer my love, a diamond hardens, And a diamond I am to sweet affection. Great victory I want for cruel rejection, and I kill he who fills with mirth my gardens. If I'm kind to one, I waste my fierce desire. If I beg love, I compromise my glory. In either way, in despair, my life I mire. And yet, I choose to live the better story by being to one unloved the raging fire than to a scornful heart a nonsense hoary she's Hmm. so good yeah i mean if you're if you're kind of analyzing it cross-referencing these two styles of poem like he's saying Mm -hmm. it really gives this sensation of like man i love this woman and that's just all there is to it right and i have got i've got i'm singing to the heavens and the valleys about how much i love this lady Mm -hmm. no matter how complicated it is the 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 soul soul, distance 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 sex mean nothing mean nothing yeah but then count yeah yeah But then when she's talking about these guys, she's like, boy, it is tough. And I just can't seem to get the hang of it.
3: (laughs) Man, y'all all all make me crazy in (laughs) one way or another. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. That's true. It does seem a lot harder for her to figure out how to be with men. Yeah. Whether romantically or not. Right, right. She certainly
5: has a lot of criticisms. (laughs)
3: Yeah, right. (laughs) Of men in general. I mean, again, you can kind of see why in the society that she's. She's uh, caged up, and you
5: kind of see why in this society, right?
3: I mean, true, <laughs> it, true. She didn't translates. have an she didn't have an Eli, you know what I mean? Well, there might have been an Eli all. there at the time, right? He he did not cross her path, right. <laughs> at any point.
5: <laughs> Thank you.
3: Well, don't make me regret it. <laughs> <Just quit. laughs> but all good things must come to an end, right? And in 1686. The viceroy's position did come to an end. Yeah. Um, it had actually already been extended by three years by King Charles II of Spain. Oh. Um, so he, was, he had already been there longer than he should have been. Yeah. But now it was time to hand over the reins to the successor. Mm. So in 1688, he and his wife, Maria Luisa, left to return to Spain and work in the government there. So Sorwana wasn't just sad that this woman she clearly cared about quite a lot. This woman's leaving, so it's you know, heartbreaking all by itself. But it also meant that a lot of her political protection was going away too. Yeah. And there's like a new faction in town and who knows what they'll like and not like. You right. Know? So by 1690, the church was getting pretty nervous about the influence that Sorwana was having on other Catholic women, Hmm.
5: because
3: she's writing all these "you foolish men." Uh For some reason, women are reading it and going, "Oh, this resonates with me." (laughs) (laughs)
1: Wait a minute, (laughs) men are foolish. I don't know
3: why, but this resonates with me. And uh the ca- the church was like if all these catholic women start to agree with Sor Juana and follow her in her footsteps it could disrupt the whole social hi- hierarchy. Oh my god. Oh no. What a nightmare. <laughs> Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> but what if we have no one to blame but ourselves? <laughs>
5: Oh, no, the world is ending.
3: Oh, Oh, God. Are we (laughs) misting mirrors, guys?
5: (laughs) Why is this mirror so foggy?
3: (gasps) (sighs) (laughs) Someone get a woman in here to clean this mirror. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, they were worried. All right, they were worried. So along comes this loser, Manuel Fernandez, the Bishop of Puebla. And he goes down into some archive somewhere, and he's like, I'm just so fed up with women thinking they can think and, and talk and read and be smart all the time. Oh, oh, so frustrating. I'm going to find something to destroy this Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. So he starts digging through old writings, like pages and pages of letters and poems and scripts, and he's just trying to find anything that he can use that's damning enough, right. You know, to put the boot on her neck, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, he's basically going through her Twitter feed. You know, trying <laughs> to trying to, to get, get, get some old tweets <laughs> <Try> <laughs> pulled up so get, get it, it canceled. canceled. <laughs> I'll cancel a Naztela Cruz. See if I don't. <laughs> And sure enough, there's always that one little tweet that gets you. He dug up this old critique she had written in a letter of some 40-year-old sermon by a Portuguese Jesuit preacher where she was basically, I mean, again, in a private letter to, like, a friend somewhere. Uh (laughs) She's just like, oh, look, I dug up this old sermon by a Portuguese Jesuit. What a dumbass. (laughs) This guy sucks. He's unfair to women. Uh, and Bishop Fernandez <laughs> basically pulls it out and is like, "Yes, I found her kryptonite!" Ha
5: ha ha ha! Wow, what a villain! Villain of the week! Villain I of the week!
3: Bishop Fernandez, <laughs> more like a bitch-up.
5: Oh, that bitch!
3: <laughs> wow,
5: boy, <laughs> the Catholics are going to come for you. <laughs> and before we find out what happens with this letter, I think we should take a quick commercial break. Yeah.
0: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a guillotine Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at nice hypergig for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
4: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs>
0: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
2: Rain or shine? Every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear.
3: And we're back, and we're about to find out what the bishop, that bitch, is going to do with this (laughs) damning tweet. (laughs) I mean, letter.
5: (laughs) So yes, Bishop Fernandez takes this letter, which he dug up, that Mm -hmm. Sor Juana had written, It was a private letter, again, because it's a letter. (laughs) And he went ahead and published it without her permission, without talking to her or anything. He published this letter, and with it, he included an open letter of his own. But he wrote that, like, in disguise. He used a pen name as if it were written by another nun. Oh. So he wrote, like, a woman's (laughs) op-ed as a man pretending to be a woman
3: speaking of tweets it's like that white guy that was like as a black man living in the south oh i don't God. like this politician or right. whatever and everyone's like out
5: to be... mm,
3: you forgot to switch accounts because <laughs> this <laughs> this is a white guy's account
5: oh wow yeah just like that so he signed it sort of and he wrote about how like oh i I appreciate what Sor Juana is saying here, but it's really a waste of time. A smart woman like her, and me, I'm also a woman, shouldn't be out there, you know, wasting their womanly brains by making controversial statements like this and shunning men for their perfectly logical beliefs when she could be using her talents for more spiritual matters. I mean, after all... She did choose to be a nun. Am I right, folks? You know, less shunning, more nunning, I always yes. say. Uh, like, you know, women shouldn't strive to learn about all these different philosophical topics and stuff like that. And frankly, you know, women should stay pretty limited in what they're studying. And you can take it from me, a real <laughs> woman nun, as you can see from my signature, Sorfiona. Fiona. Or, or Philotia or whatever, whatever I said before is my name. <laughs> that's my name. So, yeah. I mean, just absurd that he's like, that, that's so dirty.
3: That's, d- yeah. That's he's, such that's a, dirty that's a dirty trick. That's a dirty game. That Be is like, a dirty I'm gonna... trick.
5: Wow, well, other women are clearly saying that mm-hmm. that Juana should shut up. Right. When they weren't. That was literally you. Yeah. In, like, letter drag. <laughs>
3: <laughs> letter drag.
5: <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs>
3: Well, surely Sorwana read that, and quietly said, "Oh well, I guess I'll just keep my mouth shut." Then, you know, if uh... no, of course not. <laughs> Obviously, have you been listening to this story at all? She obviously said hell no to any of that shit. She cracked her knuckles. She got out her best quill and a whole ream of paper. Right. And she started writing a response. And her reply was the now famous "Respuesta a Sor Filotia," and is considered to be the first feminist manifesto. Um, it's about six times as long as <laughs> as the bishop's letter, drag letter, <laughs> whatever. Uh-huh. And it talks a lot about her own life and her own education and the struggles she had to overcome just to damn learn something. Right. Uh, Barry Taylor, who's the curator of Hispanic studies at the British Library, has a breakdown. He says she just starts laying out all these many women biblical, pagan, as well as contemporary, who had been poets and intellectuals and scholars. Right, right. She starts busting out biblical references that the church lists as justifications for keeping women uneducated. And she points out that they're very loose interpretations that could just as easily allow for women to be educated and have discourse and agency. (laughs) (laughs) Like, for example, it says only men shall study in the church. And she's like, uh, well, to me, that means women can study outside the church, like in their homes. Right.
5: So right.
3: that's what I'm doing.
5: Like the bishops took it as like, oh, in the church, as in religious people. Yeah. Only men can study. And she's like, no, I'm. you mean in the physical church. The physical church. church yeah. yeah.
3: So she's straight up like, I could be a lawyer too. Yeah. And I'm fully like, we could argue about the spirit or the letter uh. of this law <laughs> all day long. I'm yeah. ready. Uh, She also said the church had some problems with poetry, but the Bible is pretty much mostly poetry. Right. So what's the deal? (laughs) So what's wrong with you guys? Um, She's just laying it out point by point how stupid this dumb letter is from this fake nun. Yeah.
5: She goes on to say that if the church put women, specifically older women, in positions of authority, then you could just have women educating other women. Which already is good Mm -hmm. because now you're getting women educating. You're starting that cycle. But also, bonus side effect of that, you know, maybe y'all have had some troubles when you have all these older men teaching young girls, like, especially in intimate subjects. Mm. Uh, Maybe we could just dodge that whole problem, Mm -hmm. y'all. Hey, anybody notice that that's been kind of a problem in the
3: past? Could at least give it a whirl. Yeah.
5: So... She went after the attitude towards sex workers, saying, "Quote: Who sins more? She who sins for pay, or he who pays for sin? Oh, you know, you got one finger pointed and four pointing back at you, three pointing back at you. How many fingers does a person have? <laughs> I'm doing it, and yeah. There's one pointed three, out,
3: three, three, three pointing back, back at you,
5: and then like your thumb is pointed.
3: Your thumb is, is pointing to also. God. It's blaming is God.
5: <laughs> I guess if it's like a gun, your thumb is pointed <laughs> up."
3: But if, you're like, but if you're like, you relaxed, did it.
5: Now my thumb is also pointed at you. That's right. So I hope that everyone listening right now is three. mimicking a pointing motion <laughs> and going on this ride with me because <laughs> I'm deep in like hand anatomy right now. All right.
3: You have two pointed at you and three pointed at Yes,
5: <laughs> for five fingers total. All right. Also, Sordwana said that it's absurd for anyone to care about what she does with her own mind. She's like, that's my mind. It's not mm-hmm. affecting anyone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, and she Although knew it, it was because I mean... she was brilliant. <laughs> right. But a lot of the times she like was writing stuff that she knew. She would write like, I'm not even a good writer. And she knew mm-hmm. damn well she was a good writer. Right. You know?
3: Well, and in this case, she's right because that letter was a private letter. It was not intended well, exactly. for anyone to be read it, reading right. and getting you know their opinions from. Uh-huh. It was just like, oh, yeah, I read that sermon you sent me, and this is what I thought of it.
5: Yeah, yeah. And in response to the idea that women should be more concerned with the home while men take on, you know, an education, she famously says, quote, one can perfectly well philosophize while cooking supper. <laughs> right. It's boss. Uh,
3: she's like, uh, I don't know about you, but I can
5: multitask. <laughs> yeah, this isn't an either or thing, pal. Right. <laughs> I like she does. She's not even like, I'm not even going to get into why don't you cook dinner once okay, in a while?
3: Right. It's just that just listen, like, I, can I can do both. both. Get you a girl who can do both.
5: <laughs> yeah. Think <laughs> and cook at the yeah. same time.
3: Get you a nun who can do both.
5: <laughs> so, of course, you know, the church saw all this response. They read mm-hmm. her very long, well uh, thought out uh, respuesta. Mm-hmm. And they got together and they were like, well, damn, you know, she's a very smart person who makes some very good points and guys i i think that it's time that the catholic church rethinks our position on women and their education and then they went "Ah." (laughs) good Good one one. dave (laughs) of course not The church got all in her face and was like, what do you mean? Uh, How can you say this? What do you mean by that? What's this interpretation? Are you going to take that back? And she's like, geez, what's with all the questions? I didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. Because nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition.
3: (laughs) 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 The Archbishop of Mexico, Francisco de Aguilar Isayas, got involved and joined with other high-ranking officials to condemn her waywardness and criticize her methods, and they called her out for all her outrageous views. They said she was foolish for believing that all her fancy writing was anywhere near as valuable as good old-fashioned community work. Wow. (laughs) Wow. They were like basically like, but what about your kids?
5: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they were trying to make her look like like a liberal elite, you know, yeah. like oh, you're so fancy in your ivory tower, there writing your things and reading and studying and being smart, mm-hmm. when you could be down here like handing out bread to the poor. Yeah, like th- like those things don't have different values, you know. Like
3: right, they really tried to make her look like this selfish snob, you know, for the public. Basically, yeah. they were trying to s- a smear campaign. Yeah, so that you wouldn't read her manifesto <laughs> right, right. and decide you were better off without a foolish man. Yeah, <laughs> And shortly after, in 1693, it seems as though she stopped writing altogether. So I guess the pressure worked.
5: Yeah. yeah. And
3: sadly. It's unclear exactly how the next few years all went down, um, but what's known is that in 1694, her entire library was sold away. Uh, some say it was at the demand of the church that she get rid of all of her books and right. all her writings and everything. Um, others say she did it to help the poor with, you know, the earnings from the sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably felt if I can't study anyway, they're just sitting here, yeah, not sure. doing anyone any good. So right. fine, sell them and let me do something good with that money. Right. Uh, which makes sense.
5: Yeah, I mean, in either case, it meant the same thing that she felt like she couldn't study anymore.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got, they really got to her. Yeah. Um, and in 1694, she signed documents of penance, denouncing her previous statements and heretical beliefs. But she left an important historical message when she signed one of them, yo la peor de todas, or I, the worst of all. Wow. Which is awesome. That's just
5: ballsy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I well, look at me. I'm literally the worst thing in the world because I'm a smart uh-huh. woman.
3: I read and wrote jesus christ how
5: horrible burn me at the stake
3: seriously thank
5: you for not for taking me in after all this heresy (laughs) how dare i learn something and tell people what i learned
3: yeah right Ah. that is dope like she's the same just such a biting wit about her and her writing that's so pointed and great
5: and I love that they were probably too dumb to get it. They were probably like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, we really broke her. She yeah. thinks she's the worst. That's exactly what we wanted. <laughs> True. And she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. We'll see what the history books say.
3: You foolish man. And
5: look what the history books say. Uh-huh. They say y'all suck. Yeah. And is amazing. She's dope. But in 1695, she had gone to Mexico City to help tend to sick nuns. There was a plague going on that kind of swept through that area of typhus. Mm-hmm. And sadly, while tending these people, as was very common, she contracted the illness herself. Mm-hmm. And April 17th of that same year in 1695, she died of the sickness at only 46 years old. Damn. Yeah. The last reprint of her original works was in 1725, according to Tiff Reagan of Wow. The first modern edition of her poetry wasn't published until 1940. That's like 200-plus years later. Wow. Her convent now is the University of the Cloister of Sor Juana. And as we said, her hometown is Mm -hmm. now named after her as well. Right. And her face is on Mexico's 100 peso bill, which in the year 2020 was named Banknote of the Year... By the International Banknote Society, which is apparently a thing, which apparently hands out the award for banknote of the year. <laughs>
3: I guess it's nice if you design a banknote, sure, to, to be in wants the running an <laughs> yeah, for an award. But I definitely was like, oh, <laughs> they <laughs> they have an award for that.
5: It is some beautiful artistry.
3: Hey, you yeah, know, it's somebody so true. put it together.
5: I um, gotta say, you know, as an American, like our bills are kind of boring. Oh my god, it's like one picture mm-hmm. of a dude.
3: Dead white guy. Some
5: dead white guy. A hat and building like on the back. Green, mm-hmm. like a dull, like yeah. faded forest green.
3: Weird Al- Illuminati pyramid.
5: Uh-huh. You know, I tweeted this the other day, but why do we, who, who decided that the president's face was on the front of the bill? It's not like you have to read that part first. Hmm. I say, you know what? I say the pyramid's on the front and George Washington's on the back. Damn. How's that sound? Why not? That's Let's, so cha- true, Let's shake who, it up. Who
3: did decide? Who said the that's front the front and the back?
5: You know? And we all just huh. accepted it. We sure did. Like a bunch, like of, a bunch sheep. of sheep.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> if it was like the back of George Washington's head on the other side, then I'd be like, oh, oh yeah, God. front and back.
3: Oh, my God. Which would Can be we great. please change all the money <laughs> to be the backs <laughs> of their heads? <laughs> please. <laughs> that would be so funny to me. Like,
5: Pat <laughs> Franklin doesn't want anybody looking <laughs> at the back of his head. <laughs>
3: He's like, Abraham's got a great head of hair. I don't want to compete with that. All right. Well, anyway, (laughs) now that we've redesigned the money, let's get back to this. So Maria Luisa, you know, I wondered what happened to Maria Luisa. Is she writing poetry for Sor Juana or anything? And no, there is no poetry written by Maria to Sor Juana. (laughs) I don't
5: think she felt... Herself, much of a writer, maybe not it's more was, of a listener.
3: Yeah. She, yeah, she was like, "I'm an appreciator of art. Yes. i not an artist myself." Art is written
5: for me. Yeah. I don't exactly. write for artists.
3: Uh, maybe you didn't hear, but I'm a viceroy. <laughs> um, but she was responsible for publishing two books of Sor Juana's poems. One in Madrid in 1689, just before the Sor Philodía scandal <laughs> mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. out, and the other a few years later in Seville. Octavio Paz writes that of her over 100 unpublished works, only a few of her writings survived, all due to Maria Luisa. Oh. So Maria definitely, I mean, you know, if we're questioning if she had a place in her heart for Juana, yeah. she, she definitely did. She definitely
5: did. She made sure. Yeah. That's she, got she, out
3: and she's like, all these poems written about how hot I am <laughs> need to last forever. <laughs> they must be in the historical record. <laughs>
5: right. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful Maria, yes. <laughs> yes Log that keep one.
3: It. <laughs> make uh, a few copies of that one.
5: Lissy, my sexy love. Go ahead and note <laughs> yes. that one down. Uh, if you could just make a footnote there that Lissy is me, mm-hmm. Maria.
3: Ode to my breast. Yep, that one's about me as well. <laughs> you can send that on over. Ode to Maria's eye. Oh, yeah, that one's also. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Maria, what a phenomenal dump truck booty you've got. <laughs> yes, please. That's probably my favorite. Go ahead and put that in the yes. book as well.
3: Maria did live to be 72 years old, and she died in Italy.
5: Yeah, her story kind of drops off, but she definitely moved around with her husband as he was kind of, you know, the, the king of Spain loved him and definitely gave him several different appointments in mm-hmm. Austria and uh, Spain and Italy and all these places. So,
3: A well-traveled lady. Yes,
5: and she outlived him by several decades.
3: Nice. Yeah.
5: The Mexican historian Santiago Cortes Hernandez says... In three centuries of the vice-reality, the most important figure is Sor Juana.
3: Wow, I'm, imagine being the most important person for 300, for 300 year years' worth of history.
5: Right, a lot happened in the yeah. 300 years of vice-reality.
3: That's saying something.
5: Yeah. And Octavio Paz says, It is not enough to say that Sor Juana's work is a product of history. We must add that history is also a product of her work beautiful words amazing yeah I mean
3: that would give me shivers if somebody was like by the way history is a product of your work (laughs) I'd be like Damn! I hope in a good way, though, because you could also say right. about Hitler. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you got to be careful on these things to come out.
5: Wait, how is history a product of my work? Yeah, exactly. Like, wait a
3: minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need are we talking permission. about, like,
5: we clean up the air pollution and everybody has enough to eat, or are we talking, like, another genocide? Because right. yeah. I'm kind of hoping for the former there. Yeah,
3: did I make a species go extinct or what? <laughs> <laughs> I have to know.
5: But it was definitely the former for... Mm-hmm sort of one de la Cruz. Right. Um, she just, I, I mean, changed the game and became an icon. She was suppressed in her time as many great people are, which is tragic because you want her to kind of experience everything that came from what she did. Now, of course, she's revered. Mm-hmm. Uh, her story's all over the place. There have been several movies and TV shows in Mexico about her especially. Um, And the LGBTQ community also reveres her, especially in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she's just become this really incredible icon. Yeah. And I just, for my money, I've, the poetry is incredible. I was about to say,
3: I I'm, I'm did, you know, study poetry a little bit in college and we never talked about yeah, her. Yeah,
5: and I'm mad about it.
3: Me too, because these are great. Yeah. I mean, she definitely had a way with words that was worth studying. Like, I'm, why is she not part of the curriculum?
5: It takes me a minute with poetry sometimes. Mm-hmm. This is some poetry I love. Yeah. But sometimes I got to stare at it for a while. And these just immediately, I knew exactly what she was getting at and what the language meant and how, and I felt something. I just, it just I, I really did. I really just reading her poems, I was like, oh, this is what people feel about poetry. You know, <laughs> this is why people right. say they love it. I it really, I think it really would have gotten me into it more had I studied this at a young age. Yeah. But
3: that's what happens when you make an entire subsection of the population an elective. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah. So, uh, but but do go and read the whole poem of you foolish men. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely going to and and all of her stuff. There's a lot that's readily available online, mm-hmm. um, with some great English translations. And uh, she's so cool, and I'm yeah so thankful again, Germaine, for telling us about this.
3: Yes, this um, was a great suggestion because I
5: think it wasn't dominated by the romance like like this wasn't the story of the two of them together right right this right. was a story that involved you know it was mostly about Sor Juana's story and then like mm-hmm. how she what her love was and how she <coughs> fell in love mm-hmm. but uh I'm not sure we would have come across it otherwise so you know what I mean right. like because it wouldn't be listed as here's a romance you need to look at so these are the kind of stories we love getting
1: mm-hmm.
5: um so thankful to Jermaine for passing this on totally. and uh if you have any of course Please send them right? our way,
3: always. Yeah, and yeah. Let us know what you think about this episode, or about Sorwana, or you foolish men. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, send or... us one of your poems about yeah. foolish men. <laughs> send
3: us your fan art of my favorite nun coming sure. soon on ABC. <laughs> Uh, whatever you want. <laughs> We're ready to talk to you. <laughs> yes,
5: absolutely. What and is that,
3: Ghostbuster? We're ready to believe you. That's us. <laughs> yes.
5: <laughs> and executives at ABC, you know, right. feel free to contact us as well. We're not going to take you know, a lot of credit because obviously this belongs to the Mexican people and they right, should have this show. Obviously. But I mean, you know, we'll we'll executive produce. Yeah, we'll
3: take a we'll take a nice cut. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah a
5: modest cut. A
3: modest cut.
5: Just for the title. Yeah. Yeah. And the
3: idea and the, to the, make the it. The general a good.
5: idea to make it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but
3: for the story, no, you should probably go elsewhere yes. for the writing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and otherwise everything else. <laughs> but yeah, let us know what you think about this episode. We really love hearing from y'all. Email us. We're uh, romance at iheartmedia.com
5: and of course you can find us on Twitter and Instagram I'm at oh great it's Eli
3: I'm at Dynamite boom,
5: and you can find the show at Ridic Romance. and don't forget we'll be back on Friday with another recryptulous romance <laughs> with one of our Halloween series episodes
3: oh hope I'm y'all like that about. song because I was giggling like just <laughs> an idiot the whole time we were doing it because that was so cute so anyway enjoy those
5: <laughs> alright y'all we'll see you next time
3: can't wait so long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show Ridiculous Romance.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
5: Right Rug Flooring.